Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Events Podcast, where we bring you the audio from our public programs, featuring in-depth analysis of topics on China from scholars, journalists, authors, and policymakers. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. Thank you, Yao Yang. Thank you, Steve. Uh, glad to be here to uh, meet again to share some of my thoughts on this Sino-American relations uh, with you. I will start with the trade war, try to figure out the possible solutions, and then look into the future of the relations between two countries. After taking office, uh, President Trump has changed the long-standing China policy and identified China as a major strategic rival. Such a change in mindset seems to have gained bipartisan consensus as well as support from the business community. As a result, China-U.S. relations have deteriorated. A trade war has been initiated. A U.S.-China limited war, that, that's my definition, is becoming the normal of state, or normal of affairs, and will be for some time to come. Such a new paradigm is based on two reasons. First, at the level of economic interests, large trade imbalance as a structural problem will not be solved soon. Second, at the level of institutional rules, the U.S. along with other market economies are demanding a fundamental change to China's trade and business behavior. Yet, for China to make a major adjustment to their relationship between government and the market Broader social consensus and strong political view is needed. The relationship of the two biggest economies has changed fundamentally. The world economic order will be impacted. Global supply chain will be shaped, reshaped and the multilateral trade system will be jeopardized, although it remains difficult to quantify the direct and indirect effect. However, even rivals can cooperate in the global arena, including on the topics such as international peacekeeping, climate change, and anti-terrorism. It is unlikely to devolve into what others have called a new Cold War. Instead, Sino-U.S. relations going forward will be defined by both cooperation and conflict. The first area of conflict is trade-related commercial interests. 
U.S. claims a huge trade deficit with China. But the gap between the two sides statistics of China's trade surplus has been as large as 100 billion U.S. dollars in recent years. An area of debate includes Chinese deficit in the service trade is not included in American calculation. Chinese surplus are aggregate of global supply chain in which the proportion of China's value added is minimum. Surplus also include export to U.S. by American companies operating in China, and the U.S. restrict export for high-tech products to China. We all agree that if trade deficit persists in huge amount, they will negatively affect country's economy and thus it is reasonable and necessary for the two governments to intervene with appropriate measures, including the use of voluntary export restriction or quotas. I think that the two sides should first determine a reasonable target for rebalancing, then identify types of Chinese export which the U.S. has a significant deficit and for which they have the ability to substitute for. Further taking measures to expand the variety of imports from U.S. On this basis, a three to five years plan or schedule and roadmap can be worked out with the goal of finding a new state of equilibrium. Another area of uh, contentions is China's market openness. The U.S. has opposed China's current developing country identity in WTO. So is that China has taken advantage of the U.S. to counter this. President Trump has proposed the policy of equal reciprocity towards China. China's level of development is different now from when joined WTO. As such, the level of market access should be expanded. Gradual opening up the outside world is necessary for China's own economic development and has been pursued as a set of policy. What is left is to, for two sides to agree on the level and the speed of opening. Recently, the Chinese government has introduced important institutional reforms regarding the marketing opening. In addition to issues of trade imbalance and market access as its core, the conflict between the two countries is rooted in their institutional system collision. Tensions arise in the clash between the China's government-led economic model 
and the free market system around the world. In the view of the U.S., the Chinese model destroyed the market price system as well as fair competition principle. Grants various state-owned enterprises physical subsidies and preferential treatment. Forces foreign companies to transfer technology in exchange for market access. Encouraging non-market arrangements such as administrative approval and SOE monopoly. The state of IPR protection, judicial independence, labor rights protection, and other all-impact foreign capital interests in China and need improvement. The state-owned enterprise is a legacy of China's planned economy. A hot-button topic in last year was obvious declining of private sector and the sudden ascent of state-owned enterprises, illustrating the return of strong government intervention in the market. Therefore, a reform of SOE system can be a breakthrough point in China. The first step is to divide the SOE into two types, strategic one and the commercial one. For the former, the government could provide relevant policy support domestically and only act as a financial investor when with minority stake when these SOEs enter the international market. For commercial SOEs, the government should implement mixed ownership reform by cancelling all subsidies and protections, reducing government holdings, providing market incentives, and encouraging the SOE to enter uh, and compete in the international market. All countries started transition from a planned economy to a market one in the early of 1980s. It was natural to exercise authority in the face of weight of rule law. Use of visible hand to cultivate invisible hand and place economic growth above equity. Now, as our economy has become larger and more international. The government-led model has created special interest group that pose the obstacles to the transition to free market system. This existing model faces criticism even domestically within China. China should make a decisive commitment to carry out necessary reform on the basis of the promise made at the CPC Central Committee meeting. That is, the market is decisive factor in resources allocation. 
Moving forward, it is essential that two countries work together to find a new equilibrium and to ensure their trade confrontation does not spill over into other fields such as politics, military, culture, and science and technology. On the dispute issues, such as the imbalance, trade imbalance, market access, the institutional differences, both sides should seek to find a constructive and reasonable balancing point. China must also advance its own structural reform, readjust relations between the government and the market, as well as re-evaluate its model of economic development. The future of Sino-US relations raises a very challenging question for leaders of in both our countries. I know we will share the hope to move our two countries from a new paradigm to a new equilibrium. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ching. Uh, we have a little bit of time, so we can take uh, some questions uh, from the floor. Thank you, Albert Keitel with uh, George Washington University. The, the most obvious symbol of our trade war is the U.S. trade deficit. What do you think about the statistics that show a correlation with that trade deficit and U.S. consumer credit? Uh, in the past 40 years, surges in U.S. consumer credit have correlated with surges in the U.S. deficit. So this can be interpreted as part of what the French used to call America's exorbitant privilege of printing the world's money and then spending some of it. And so in that case, the trade deficit really is a product of the importance of the US financial system for global liquidity rather than reflecting some Chinese policy combination. So it's a, it's a comment, it's not a question. <laughs> okay, let me give you a comment for your comments. <laughs> uh, fundamentally speaking, it's because of the uh, structure of the differences between two countries. China have a high rate of reservings. Uh, America has a high rate of uh, its, its, its expansion, expand. I, I mean, the consuming. So uh, actually, the, the story is uh, I'm going to borrow China, Chinese uh, reserve to balance its economy. That's the one thing. That uh, makes the, the, the problem because of the structural issues. But on the other side, a, a country must is it still needs some uh, international payment balance. It still need to uh, 
to uh, to have full employment. Uh, so if if the the, the surplus or deficit exists for a long time, that's also a problem. So what we have uh, what we can do is to balance these two issues. We only have one minute, so. Yeah, just quickly. Um, one of the great potentials between uh, to work U.S. and China is the Belt and Road Initiative. I think, in terms of a new paradigm, uh, this would uh, these two great countries, these two great economic powers, working together for the infrastructure and progress of the world. What do you think of that? As the initiative from China, it's, uh, it, it seems to be a, it makes U.S. Uh, uh, not very comfortable because the U.S. is, uh, is number one. Uh, it's, 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 it's got number two to initiate something. I think in general it's a good thing for the global uh, economic development and global peace. It may take time for U.S. to really understand that, to join hand by hand with, hand with China to push that forward. Okay, uh, we just got to run out of time, so uh, uh, join me to thank Dr. Xinjiang again. <laughs>